This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Lack of engagement, lack of friendship, lack of social wealth. And lack of self-awareness. Well, yeah, I think we all have some of that. The statistic on that is a little bit fascinating. That is the topic on today's podcast and how that all affects productivities and profits. Hello, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications at Sales Fuel, and welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I am the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. And he has a smidge of self-awareness. It's there. I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason Troy is our guest today. He's an executive coach who helps executives, managers, and employees to maximize their leadership and management potential. So you are squarely in the wheelhouse. Um, he provides coaching. He's got workshops, speaking services. I've seen him speak, uh, watched his TED Talk. It was excellent. And uh, Jason, you spent 15 years working in marketing leadership positions in Silicon Valley, which is interesting, working with Steve Jobs, Reed Hastings, Mark Cuban, Mark Hurd, and you are the best-selling author of Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. Hey, before we get started here, (laughs) talking about self-awareness, like what was Steve Jobs' self-awareness like? You know, I mean, I think at some level, he was pretty self-aware of what other people, but I don't know necessarily himself. Right. You know, I mean, it's the hardest part because our brain is not organized to allow us to see those things. Mm So it allows us just to see other people, but it's overwhelming survival mechanisms and everything else that go into it. So it's uh, interesting. So you, you say asking questions with coworkers creates deeper sort of business relationships. And when you feel cared about more by everyone, then you have a higher productivity rate and you have a higher level of loyalty and engagement and all that stuff. Explain how that all works. Well, essentially, the challenge is, is that vulnerability really is the lever in building trust super fast. Because we've all done this, right? You've all walked in a room and met someone for five or 10 minutes and felt like you've known them all your life. It's happened to everyone at least once or twice, maybe many times. The problem is, is how do you do that consistently? And what happened if you watch a video of it is someone starts to be vulnerable, then the other person's vulnerable and back and forth. And essentially what you do is in that one short conversation, what people do in 20 or 30 conversations. And you find, you galvanize around either an experience or an emotion or both, and you really escalate that. And you do that through vulnerability, through self-disclosure, because the problem with vulnerability is most of it is just event-driven, right? Someone catastrophe happened, a health risk or something else like that. But self-disclosure is the key. And that's really the ability to open yourself up and get to know people on a much deeper level. Because the people around us, we really don't know very well. And more importantly, letting them get to know you, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, when you do that, it shows that you care because it's the same way that you treat the people closest in your life and your personal life, right? And so psychologically, you place yourself in someone else's inner circle and you can do that super fast, just like in meeting someone for the first time and feeling like you've known them for a long time. Well, if you can do that at work, you'll get people to care about you and you'll care about them more and you'll get more into a contribution mindset versus what can I take, what can I get? And whenever we're in that place, 
we do our highest and best work, right? Not only for us individually, but it affects everyone else around us as well. So I'd like to peel the onion back on this particular thing. As you know, a lot of managers need really good, healthy business relationships internally and externally to be able to get things done. We need to be able to work with not only their teammates, not only uh, their higher-ups, but people in other departments and that sort of thing. So I want to drill down a little bit as far as how can we help managers and emerging leaders have better business relationships? Well, I think the key is you've got to get to know people much better, like how they tick, what they like, what they don't like. And then you can have much more candor, right? And I think that happens because in most organizations, it's a lot of impression making, right? There's not a lot of sharing of information. It's how can I look good? Um, how can I present something politically rather than actually engaging and sharing information? Because what happens in most organizations is the people at the top have no idea what's going on on the bottom, right? I mean, I read this story about Jack Welch, how Every time he went out to plants at GE, he spent you know, a little bit of time with the management team, went to the plant floor, and then went back to the managers and said, I know more about your business than you do. That's a problem, right? And I mean, that's one of the ways he turned around the business. It's just asking people and getting to know them. I mean, it seems sort of basic, but we're here to belong and connect. And when we don't feel like that, then it doesn't work. And Google found that out in Project Aristotle, if you Google that, it wasn't individual traits, backgrounds, or IQ. It was the social cohesion and connection between people that created the highest performing teams. And that was evident through psychological safety, which Amy Edmondson at Harvard has really gone into depth and talked about is really the number one thing that if a team doesn't have, they're not high performing. And in my research, I, it completely validates that. So, if, so you know the other person really well, you know what they like, this, dislike and all that sort of thing. You know, you know what's important to them. What do you do with that information and that, that after, you know, how do we keep using that information and to, to foster better business relationships? Well, I think what happens is when you get to care about someone, you operate at your highest communication, collaboration, innovation, conflict resolution, everything else. And you have someone's interest at heart. So you're asking more questions. You're willing to take more risks, right? I mean, but Jeff Bezos says in his 2016 shareholder letter, like, I'll disagree with you, but I'll commit to you, right? And that's kind of how it goes with individuals. So you can problem solve much better and they will be a partner with you in it, right? It's just like when I went and looked at the top 1% teams in Fortune and Forbes, you know, top 10 workplaces. Well, the difference between the top 1% team and the top 25% team wasn't smarter people. It's just when you're sitting around a table of like, let's say 10 people and a leader asks a question, everyone answers. So everyone's involved in the process. And as you go down farther, you'll have seven or eight people, then five or six. Well, you know, that's the problem. Less people are participating, engaging, problem solving, coming up with, you know, answers or possibilities or raising things that other people may not have thought. Well, collective intelligence is the key, right, in any organization. And the same thing, it goes with a prospect or a customer, right? I mean, the more you get to know them, the faster you build trust, people are going to have to take a leap of faith with you. Well, they're more apt to do that if you know them and they know you. Where did that statistic come from that you talked about, that people who have a close friend at work are seven times more productive? You know, I can't, I thought, I thought I read that in Fast Company, but as I was doing the research on there, that it was really evident that there's a lot of data out there. Like people say 70% of people say the number one reason they're happy is having friends at work. And what I like to tell people is strip out the friends. It's really more about getting to know the people around you on a much deeper level. So it's not surface level, right? Because when you talk to people personally, like, 
even people are introverts. They're like, I love talking to people. What I don't like is wasted conversations and talking about nothing, right? Those so, are the people with the headphones in the whole time. Yeah, exactly. But if they had something meaningful, they would engage a lot more and talk. It's just that they don't know how and people around them aren't. So we so have how do you, to- Well, how do you do that then? Because you had a very specific set of questions, some delving much more personal and emotional and some that are, Lee, one of them was, uh, you know, if you could li- live a year of your life over again, which year would it be and why? Which I thought was a great question, but you can't just walk up to a report or even if you're middle management, your boss and say, hey, I'd like to ask you a question and then blurt that out. How do you facilitate that type of conversation? Well, it's really interesting is I started to do this and take the questions out because it came from um, a famous study by Professor Arthur Aaron who got people, who got 54 grad students together and paired them up who are strangers and he asked 36 questions over 45 minutes and they were pretty vulnerable. Like one of the last questions was, tell me three things that you like about me, which is hard with a stranger in less than 45 mm-hmm. minutes, right? And mm-hmm. what happened at the end of this study is 30% of the people rated that relationship with a stranger as the closest relationship in their life, which Whoa. is pretty wow. amazing, right? I mean, it also shows you how bar, low the bar is too, right? I, I tell mm-hmm. people a snake and crawl over it because we just, our social communication, emotional skill sets are so low that even if you try, you'll be successful at this. You don't even have to be marginally good. You just have to, you just have to actually do it. But what happened is, is when I started doing this in coffee shops and asking questions, just like you did, people like basically, you know, stood back and almost backed away from me because they <laughs> felt like I was intruding. Mm. But I showed them the game and then all of a sudden they just started answering the questions. And then what happened was I didn't show them the game. I just said there was a game and they still answered the questions. So what I told people, and, and the reason is, is one, if you say it's cards against mundanity, which is the game, they, a lot of people think cards against humanity, so they right. automatically play. But also when you play a game, we all go back to our childhood and everyone likes to play games, even adults, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we all do whenever people are doing it. People do over the holidays or with their friends. So if you just say to someone, hey, I've got a game to play with you that I just picked up, um, it's a question and answer game. Would you be willing and open to play it, right? And I've never really had anyone say no because they want to see what this game is and they want to play it. And if you can test out, usually I pick two questions and I pick more positive questions like who's your personal hero or who's a person who really shaped your life. Some sort of praise or gratitude, not the ones that are regret based or anything else because that's more you need to do that in a group where you're asking several questions at a time. These are one more to get people in a positive, happy state. Because Sean Anker did a lot of research on this in his book, The Big Potential, about how to raises the whole group productivity up when you actually start to praise or have gratitude inside any sort of group, team, or organization. So having a manager that cares about you or, or, or you know, knowing or them knowing that you care about them. Uh, number one thing, we even did a white paper on it a couple of years ago, best sales manager I ever had. And you know, a manager that cares about you, number one trait by far. Uh, what about the role of trust in, in having a better business relationship? Well, that's, uh, that's obviously key. But when, when you look at trust, um, Charles Feldman came up with these four characteristics. It's sincerity, reliability, competency, and caring. And when you think about it, caring by far is the most important one because we've all known people that have been reliable who are always late, right? But if they care about you, you keep them in their life. But here's the problem. People who are super reliable but don't care about you, the only reason you keep them there is maybe a business reason or some other reason that they're there for transactional purposes. 
They're not there because they're a friend or some, because they don't care about you. So caring is the key lever that you have to move in all of this stuff. And I mean, NASA's done a lot of stuff on this if you read up on it and teamwork, which has really revolutionized space travel for them because they weren't even getting along. So this is pretty much predominant in everything and all the best teams and all the best research. And you can look at all-star teams too, right? Most of the all-star teams are horrible because there's egos and they don't get along. So people who are far less intelligent technically on an IQ scale outperform almost all the time. But if I feel like you care about me, but I also know that, that you're telling me one thing and you're telling the next guy something else and the next gal something else and I can't trust you or whatever, that's not going to work. No, yeah, it's not going to work at all. So that's part of the key thing is gaining that with individuals and gaining it quickly. And the thing is most people, they think that, oh, I need to, be, I need to trust you before I can be vulnerable. And so what happens is this takes a super long time for most people to do it they don't think the other way around works. And actually all the research shows that that is the key. Because in Google's research, they had one of the managers share they did stage four cancer. And they showed that the team picked up their performance significantly after bonding around that, right? Because that's an extremely vulnerable self-disclosure from someone, right? But again, the problem with that is it's event-driven. It required that person to have cancer, but you can share things about yourself and get other people to do that, you know, 24-7, 365. I know we said we'd talk about these, back to the top of the podcast, the self-awareness statistic. You say 95% of people believe they are self-aware, but only 10 to 15% actually are. Because they have no self-awareness. <laughs> exactly. They're just going a circle jerk, you know? <laughs> It's, it's, and, it, and it's even worse for men, right? The data out there, if you look at studies, it's like 4 to 8% in women. It's anywhere from, you know, 14 to 17%. And I think the challenge, again, if you're not self-aware, you don't understand your thoughts, feelings, emotions, what's going on internally. You don't even know your own blind spots. Mm -hmm. So now when you're acting out in the real world, right, working with other people, you're completely unaware. So you misnavigate. You can't have empathy. You can't see other people's viewpoints. You'd rather be right, right, than be happy. Actually, right, exactly, and be happy, right, and admit something or be vulnerable and say, I don't have all the answers. Well, that requires you to be vulnerable with yourself. You can't give something to someone else that you don't have or a group of people. So that's where leaders and managers fall down. And this is all profit and loss and, you know, revenue-driven stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a requirement for someone to be self-aware. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to be successful in, this, in the business itself will either flatline or crater at some point. Do you have a simple exercise our listeners could do to sort of boost their self-awareness? Like, you know, write stuff down on a piece of paper or, I mean, even just to identify two or three blind spots that you refer to. Yeah, well, I would say there's a couple of things. One, I think you can get feedback from other people, which is the key to give you insights and to stay open from other people. Now, you can do it from like a 360 review. The other thing you can do is just ask the people around you a simple couple simple questions. One is, rate, can you rate our relationship on a scale of one to 10, one being poor, 10 being extraordinary, and why would you rate that, right? And get some pretty frank answers and get that feedback and you can have a conversation about that with someone and then ask them, well, how can I move it closer to a 10? So you can start to get some feedback on what's going on with the people around you. And I think that's a definitely a start. I think the other thing 
is really getting an assessment and asking yourself not, you know, why am I not a better leader, but what am I doing to create leadership problems for myself and start getting feedback from other people. I think the other thing to do is obviously getting outside help and identifying patterns that are sabotaging your success. Because one of the problems that will happen is a lot of when I'm working with people, patterns that you do under the age of 10 or some trauma, like let's say you grew up in a household uh, that had six kids and you had to yell over everyone to get heard. Well, no wonder why you're a poor listener as a leader or manager now. Because you had to then, and the, and the payout was actually getting someone to listen. Otherwise, if you waited, nothing would happen. Well, mm. you learn that pattern for long enough, it's ingrained habit, and now we don't think about it. We just talk over other people, and it's not that we don't care. A lot of those people just don't know what they don't know, and they can't see the pattern because that's the way the brain is organized. So some of this stuff you can do on your own, and some of it you really just can't because that's how we're designed as a human being. We had a very spirited debate recently uh, here in a management team meeting about whether or not self-awareness can be taught. Are, are you just born with a certain amount of self-awareness or, or if it can be taught or coached or something like that, how much can it be taught or coached? So I'd like you to weigh in on that. I mean, I think you def it's a learned behavior. I mean, I think you can learn it. Now, you have to want to do it. You have to want to totally do it. Totally agree. Yep. You are mm -hmm. going to have to look in your accountability mirror and it's going to bring you to your knees and you're going to be willing to go there. Mm -hmm. But if you don't do that, you cannot be an extraordinary leader. You can be a good one, but you'll never be a great or extraordinary. It is the mm -hmm. bar that everyone has to go over in order to get there because we are our own worst enemy. And our ceiling on where we can go is our self-awareness. And eventually you'll hit it. Everyone hits it at a different age, in a different time, and they will because something will stop you. Some pattern will get in the way from you being successful and it happens to every person. It's just a matter of when. So you usually it's six inches between the ears. <laughs> it is. That's really it. And, and it's funny when you talk to, when you talk to board members or venture capital people, the one thing they'll tell you they worry about the most is dealing with executives or other leaders is what's going on in their head because they don't know that. And that's the one thing that they can't figure out themselves. They can look at a plan and say if it's good or bad, but they can't know what's going on in someone's head. And if they're scared or they have imposter syndrome or they're unsure, like that's what keeps them up at night. And I think that's what keeps anyone up at night. I can't just blame it all on my parents. Come on. That's easy. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The, the web is the first step. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Yeah. The website, everyone, is jasontroy.com, but there's a spelling issue here, which we're going to spell it out for everybody. It's J-A-S-O-N-T-R-E-U, but pronounced Troy. And you can get the book there, and you can book him and uh, for consulting and coaching. And then what's your Twitter? Same thing? Yep. Okay. And how do you like to be contacted? I'm sure there are, this has been very interesting. Some of our listeners may want to uh, engage with you. I mean, just contact me through the website. There's plenty of stuff there. I mean, via email there. Get the book uh, there too. Yeah, get the book on Amazon. And then Cards Against Mundanity, the team building game we talked about, it's free and you can download it and start using it. And people are using it. Tons of salespeople are using it. I spoke at a huge sales event um, two weeks ago. So it's, uh, it's something that works for teams and prospects, clients, and everything else. That sounds good. I'm going to put that link in the show notes so yeah. people can find it easily. But this has been such a pleasure. It's so great to have you on. And what interesting food for thought. I got some work to do on my self-awareness. Well, don't we all? We, we, <laughs> we this always is something we're never going to perfect, right, Jason? Yeah, it's, 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 we're all a work in progress. And, that, and if you think about it like that, then I think it's, it's, a, it's a fun, the journey is the fun part. There's no ending. Don't aim for perfection. Aim for progress. Yes. Love it. 
Well, gentlemen, thanks so much. Everybody subscribe, rate, and review the Management Hunter podcast. Spread the word, share this with a colleague, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.